0: Welcome to Psyche Eros and Depth Psychology. I'm your host, Dr. Alita. This podcast centers around themes of theology, mythology, dreams, archetypes, and ecofeminism. I am passionate about weaving and integrating the great psychic split between mind and body and body and earth. As one who longs to see a father-god cosmology, which includes the feminine, the earth, and the body, I enjoy pulling flowers from ancient goddess mythology as well as Christianity. In doing this, an elucidating array of symbols and metaphors make themselves known alongside the excavation for truth. In this first episode, we are going to play with the atavistic story in Genesis, that famous creation story of how humans came about. Why I particularly love diving into mythology and theology is because of their offering of unique mosaics upon the intricacies of not just the collective psyche, but the personal psyche. Yuval Noah Harari argues in his book, Sapiens, that our human species has survived solely because of our unique ability to share stories. Stories allowed our ancestors to organize, to make meaning, and to breathe life into our surroundings. They literally brought us to the top of the food chain, while our cousins, the Neanderthals, did not quite make it. According to Harari's argument, it could have something to do with their lack of loquaciousness. It was storytelling that saved our species. Why? Because stories work as the fabric and architecture of our consciousness and development. The Garden of Eden. According to Judaism and Christianity, this enchanted story describes the very Beginning of time and our human species. In Genesis chapter 2, it reads that God, also known ubiquitously throughout this text as the Lord, created Adam after he had separated the oceans from land, the night from day along with vegetation, animals, and flying-winged creatures. Can you imagine this? Through the mere command, poof! A lion with his luxuriously orange and wild mane strutting down through a garden, and with him, a ferocious lioness. Up to their right Ravens, ensconced in their night coats, caca to the full moon, adding music to the liminality. Eventually, God realized that no suitable partner existed for Adam. Thus, he then decided to create a woman from Adam's ribs. Adam and Eve were given authority and dominion over the garden, with the Lord's blessing on loving it on caring for it and generating creativity with it. There was just one rule, they could not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now it is worth noting that this law or rule was given to Adam before Eve was created. It is unknown whether God spoke these instructions directly to Eve or whether Eve learned of them through her partner, Adam. But it does sound like she was aware of them on some level as she defended her stance on not eating from this tree when a talking serpent snuck up to her. I would like to take a pause here and reflect. In just a few small paragraphs in Genesis, So much happens. We now have oceans, trees, night, day, animals, winged creatures, humans, and don't forget about those snakes. The creation of all of this appears to have taken place in the time frame of six days. I'd like to extend an invitation for amplification. Let's amplify the Garden of Eden a lush, vibrant, and fertile land. It's full of life, it's full of color, and it has both blessings endowed upon it, as well as things forbidden. If we take this garden and move it from a collective story and into a personal one, what does this garden then represent in our own lives? Are we not all traversing and walking through the Garden of Eden, where bounty is everywhere and the harvesters are few? Perhaps you don't live in a forest or a Sahara. Maybe the only creatures that are not human are the dogs and cats and occasional reptilian pets around. If this is the case, chances are there are lots of humans around. Maybe even boulevards too, along with sirens and the subsequent chronic pollution. Perhaps there's lots of predictability in your garden. An alarm clock, a set schedule, clearly cut and timed different days like Mondays, Saturdays. Maybe there's work or maybe there's social gallivanting or other things. Each of these ingredients which make up your world are part of your garden what percolates for you as you look around and notice this garden of yours what colors is it filled with what herbs where is the living water are you closest to a pond a river or the ocean and There is likely some sort of forbidden tree that perhaps you know you must stay away from. It could be lust. Maybe it's gluttony of a specific drink or tempting thought patterns of bitterness. Whatever that forbidden tree is for you, metaphorically, if you will, you know in your guts That eating from it produces zero fruits. What happens if you tune in for a moment to the archetype of the forbidden fruit? In all likelihood, you've eaten this fruit before, you've made yourself company with this tree. Maybe you slept with the wrong kind of person. Maybe that kind of person holds an archetype which you've danced with on multiple occasions in your life. And while you know this type of individual is not good for you, your spirit or your body, you nevertheless have fallen into temptation and sharing energy with them and people like them over and over again. Or... Maybe there's a specific intoxicant you've tried in the past and loved, and even though it comes with horrendous hangovers and induces poison all throughout your veins and body, whether these horrendous hangovers are spiritual or psychological or physical, no matter how many times you've been drug through hell because of this intoxicant, you still struggle With the temptation. It's forbidden. Thus, to the carnal flesh of your being, it's alluring. So, one could argue that you, me, our fellow brothers and sisters, are no different than Adam and Eve. As we journey through life, day in and day out, we constantly have to navigate options, decisions, and yes, even temptations. Now, I imagine that if we were to meet Eve today, we would come across a royal crone queen, a woman full of wisdom, regality, discretion, and discernment. Because it doesn't take too many temptations before we know that we have messed up. Eating too much cake is not going to feel good the next day. Sleeping with a sexy sociopath is not going to satiate the heart or soul on any level. Having too many shots out with friends does not lend itself to waking up feeling sprite and refreshed. Eve knows all about this. When she allowed herself to be seduced to go against her better judgment, which archetypally is metaphorical to God or the Lord, she goes against God and she is seduced by this crafty serpent. And she says yes to what he is dangling in front of her. When she does this, she becomes heavy with shame, so much shame that she could no longer walk freely through the garden naked as she once was. Up until this moment, she was stark naked. But once she falls into oblivion, once she gets bitten by the temptation, she now is blanketed in shame. And because of this, she sews fig leaves together with her consort, Adam, and she covers herself. How do you feel after you give in to temptation? Maybe initially there's a hit of dopamine. Maybe you're flooded with ecstasy for a few brief, evanescent moments, but I doubt that high lasts very long. Giving in to temptation always comes with a come down. I hope this ancient story is now being understood as more than just a story in Genesis an allegory describing how humans all came to be along with this glorious, mysterious, intelligent earth and all her creatures. But it can also speak to and extrapolate what the human individual must contend with on a day-to-day basis. Depending on how you identify in your gender, you are probably resonating with Adam or Eve. And yes, there are the rare, rare individuals who no longer are connected to their human soul and perhaps exist maybe not as Adam or Eve, but as the serpent. But even still, those individuals deep down are an Adam or an Eve. They've just been possessed by something dark and nefarious. This being said, how do you differentiate when something in your life is coming from God or coming from the deceiver? Now, if you are not wired to, let's say, give your psyche and imagination and spirituality for that matter, a place for God, if those semantics are dissonant for you, Then if you want to take it down a notch and just look at it from a psychological viewpoint, you could call it the archetypal self. So the parts of you that are capable of immense good, of incredible vision, of steadfast supernatural virtue. So that could be the archetypal self, for those who are not resonant with the semantics or vernacular of God, the question is, how do you know when something is showing up in your life, whether it comes from God or the archetypal self, or whether it is coming from the deceiver? These forbidden trees that occasionally appear May not be actual trees in the literal sense, as previously stated. It could be a dose of a narcotic or a romp with someone you know you should not be connecting with, or it could be a donut or a sneaky drive through a fast food chain that you know is not in alignment with your ecological values. Maybe it's not an actual thing, but an abstract thing like a thought pattern, which feeds your imposter syndrome. In order to tell the difference, one needs discernment. And in order to have discernment, one needs to ironically be able to know the difference between good and evil. Unfortunately, just as human cognition and consciousness has evolved over the course of our species' existence, well, so too has evil in its sophistication. Today, deception is so thick, and at times even stunningly beautiful, that one needs the blade of their discernment sharper than ever. How does one sharpen their discernment? According to the wisdom in the tradition which this whole story comes from, it's by knowing the word of God and his commandments. His stories, the Bible, the holy book. One way to discern, to know, that might not be included or given so much talking room in holy books like the Bible is the voice of the body. These bodies that you and I inhabit are extremely intelligent, they are works of wonder. Discernment is alive in subtle sensations with how the body communicates with us around different individuals and places and words spoken. What might happen if we, our species, began listening with our entire body and not just with our minds? What might shift if more individuals became aware of the deception of the existence of evil, that there is a force alive and well on the planet that wants the destruction and the chaos, the confusion and the dissemination of pure lies. How might this planet and our global communities look if discernment became sharp on a massive level? For now, I hope you feel inspired to at the very least Sharpen your own blade of discretion and discernment so you can tell the difference between a counterfeit truth, a counterfeit fruit, the forbidden one, that will not bear any, as opposed to the real fruit, the fruit that multiplies in color, juiciness, nectar, and bounty. Thank you for tuning in today and for playing with your perception on unique ways to engage these ancient stories. I'm your host, Dr. Alita, and I look forward to musing with you again.